Well, my name is Pastor Brad Bigney. I get to serve as a senior pastor here, and I'm so glad you've joined us for this series because we are in a series that I've titled Holy Sex, digging down into God's word to refocus on what does the Bible say about sexual purity? What does the Bible say about marriage, gender, and our sexuality? Because I hope you understand as a believer living in this world, this rocky world, on a regular basis, you better be doing something to refocus, whether it's on your money, relationships, job, sex, you get out of focus. It gets knocked. It gets twisted. It gets blurred. You got to come back to God's word to say, refocus. So we've been refocusing in this area through digging into God's word. And as we wrap up the whole series, here's what I want to do with the last two messages. I want to leave you, I hope, with what I think is a good strategy for fighting sexual sin. A strategy that I think if you buy into it and you head down this path and you say, all right, I'm going to try to do some of that that I heard Pastor Brad talk about in the last two messages. It could keep you from getting sucked in, chewed up, spit out in the sex-crazed world that we live in. And I'm going to build this strategy and kind of frame it up around the life of Joseph. We're going to use the life of Joseph as the framework for these final two messages for a strategy for fighting to stay sexually So turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis, first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 39. Turn in your Bible or pull it up on your app, iPhone, whatever you got, and follow along as I read in Genesis 39, beginning in verse 1. Now, if you know the story about Joseph, you understand his brothers have already thrown him into a pit, sold him to some Ishmaelite traders, and he's on his way to Egypt, and that's where we pick it up. Genesis 39, beginning of verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had Potiphar put in his hand. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he even had except for the bread which he ate. And Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. That came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on him. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not even know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then? How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day by day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled. 
and ran outside. Let's pray together. Oh God, use your word now. We're thankful for Josh Harris and Doug Wilson and and Tim Callies and Linda Dillo and a number of people they've used to write well. But God, what a joy that we're not guessing, but what would God say? Has God ever spoken on these issues? Oh, Lord, thank you for the written word of God, inspired, inerrant, timeless, life-changing, powerful. Teach us from your word right now. Pin truths to our hearts. Change, take the scalpel of your word and cut away what is crooked. Cut away what is numb and not sensitive to you. Cut away what is crooked so that we might be holy, so that we might finish well, so that we might stand out as ambassadors for Christ in a crooked and dark world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to give you a strategy these next two weeks, today and next Sunday. Number one, here's the first step in building this strategy. Number one, you better make up your your mind ahead of time what you're going to think. What you're going to think that you're going to refuse the very first hint of sexual temptation. You see, most people, most believers already know, oh, I don't want to commit adultery. I don't want to, and maybe, I hope, we still have some singles who are like, and I don't want to commit fornication. I'm not going to jump into bed with my boyfriend, girlfriend. You got to be thinking something bigger than that. And you better be some, thinking something prior to that. You better make up your mind that you are going to refuse the very first, say the word, hint of sexual temptation. If you want to finish well. See, the time to put together a a strategy is not when you're staring the temptation in the face. The groundwork that needs to be done to really do well in this battle needs to have happened ahead of time in your thinking and your mind. See, if you're sitting here this morning, I know some of you are. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking you can just open the door a crack, take a peek, check it out, think about it, ponder it, consider all your options, and then decide. You're dead in the water. You're dead in the water already. You are a statistic waiting to happen. The, the wood of your heart is already piled up dry and brittle and all it's going to take is the match of sexual temptation and there'll be a bonfire and, and Satan, our enemy, knows the, just the match that'll do it for you. Remember I said, he'll see that these three things intersect. Right person, right circumstance, right time. And you say, oh, but I, never, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, well. And there'll be a bonfire and you'll go down in flames just like so many before you. And I want you to know, as I've gone through this series, I've been sobered. I'm not preaching down to you. I, I'm just, it's re-gripped me all over again. I hope I never get over and never begin to think, what is wrong with so-and-so? Why do pastors go down? Why do people run off with someone else? Oh. Every day you wake up with your biggest problem. You and your flesh 
You don't, it's not the circumstances and the people. It's you. Your flesh and my flesh is still very much alive. And it's willing to lie dormant a little bit to wait for the right moment to just raise its head. I mean like suddenly and startlingly. And you need to be aware of that. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Take heed, those of you that think you stand, lest you fall. Don't be that guy or that woman that through this whole series is like, I don't know why people struggle. I don't understand the struggle. I don't, I don't struggle. Praise God if you don't struggle right now, but don't ever start thinking, that's not an issue for me. That's not an issue for me. That's not an issue for me. I don't need a plan. I don't need a strategy. Watch out. Watch out. So let me ask you, have you made up your mind already? You say, Brad, I'm in a good church. I know. I think so too. I'm in a small group. I know. I know. You You can be doing all kinds of things right. And if this hasn't taken place, if you're fuzzy on this, if you're careless on this, if there's any loophole here that you have not really made up your mind that you're going to refuse the first hint you're willing to embarrass yourself if necessary you understand what i'm saying that that sometimes people what is with him that he won't even ride in the taxi with me what is with him is he he's he's read god's word long enough he's watched other people explode and he believes he is as bad as the bible says he is that i'm not getting in the back seat with you and riding for 45 minutes to the hotel Because I've committed adultery nine times already? No, because I don't ever want to do it the first time. Have you made up your mind already that you're going to refuse the very first, say it, hint of sexual temptation? When Augustine, godly man that was the bishop of Hippo, I thought being on Gunpowder Road was bad, but he was the bishop of Hippo. Sure, he got made fun of at pastor's meetings. But Augustine of Hippo was not always godly. He was a mess, and sexual sin was his mess. It was his thing. He was wild and immoral and broke his mama's heart, and she prayed for him for years. But God saved him. But in the midst of the struggle, there can be points in your life you know enough truth, you just don't want to do it yet. He said this. He prayed this. Lord, deliver me from lust. But not yet. I'm convinced there's some of you here. That's you. I know, I know at some point in my life I need to draw a line in the stand, stick a stake in the ground, make sure I deal with that. But not yet. I'm young. There's some things I might want to experience, at least just brush up against a little bit. I don't want to go down in flames. I don't want to wreck my life. But I don't want to close off all my options either. Lord, deliver me from lust. But not yet. Martin Luther nailed it when he said, the problem with so many people who flee temptation, yay, all right, is that they want to leave a forwarding address. (laughs) I'm running, but here's where you can find me because I might reconsider at some point. That won't work, my friend. One of the reasons Joseph survived in a world that's very much like ours. Don't, Don't say, oh, that was a long time ago. It's so much harder now. Bible's timeless. The heart's the same, the desire's the same, the deception's the same, the enemy's the same. Joseph survived in a world very much like ours because he had already made up his mind. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at verses seven and eight again. 
Look at verse 7 and 8, Genesis 39. Now it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused. Three great words right there. But he refused. But he refused. Instantaneously. Boom. But he refused. There's no lengthy dialogue. He doesn't say he needs to get back to her on that. He didn't pause, pray, ponder. But he refused. But he refused. But he refused. See, he was already, that decision had already been made like a spring that's coiled and ready to go. Boom. But he refused. But he refused. If you're still stopping and thinking about things, you're still in trouble. On certain things, like sexual temptation, there shouldn't be anything to think about. Let me ask you again, have you made up your mind yet? Single men, single guys, young teen guys in your 20s, yay, early 30s, we're older. If you're single and you're a man, have you made up your mind yet that you're not going to stag parties bachelor parties you're not going to places you shouldn't be seeing things you shouldn't see you're not you're not going to be bedding down every woman that that you have interest in even when they're willing have you made up your mind yet joseph was single and guess what look at verse six again Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I did a massive word study this week. Dug down into this in the Hebrew. You know what it is in the Hebrew? Buff, cut, ripped, six-pack abs, total package. Like some of you think you are. So you're not the first to have arrived this way. God's done it before. But what might be different, while, while you might share buff, ripped, cut, do you share that Joseph was a but he refused kind of guy? Those three words were part of his package. Do you have that? But he refused. He refused. He refused. I'm not going to use my charms, my body, my looks, my skills, my guitar, whatever, to bed down women. I've already made up my mind. No. No, 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 no. Single ladies, have you made up your mind yet that you're not going to be jumping into bed with every guy, any guy, that shows you a little bit of attention, that's kind, that takes you out? Are, Are you ready to stop believing the lie that you have to have sex to keep him? If you have to have sex with him to keep him, he's a loser, lose him yesterday. Yesterday. You don't have to give your body away. Give him your body for a date, for a meal, for I don't care what he did. Whatever he's done, he does not deserve your body until he stands in a ceremony and says, till death do us part in poverty and riches, in sickness, in health. You want someone who's made a commitment to raise the babies that may come, to stand by you when you're sick, to encourage you as you work, as you go through the trials, to shoulder the load with you. You want a man who's made a commitment until you got a commitment. Don't give him your body. Don't give him your body. Don't give him your body. Because listen to me, some of you know, you start just feeling prostituted. You just feel like garbage. You just feel like you're being used. News alert. You are. You, oh, but this one's different. Oh, but he's different. 
I'll tell you what's different. The guy that's not asking you to do that. And when you find him, even if he's pudgy, hang on to him. (laughs) Hang on to pudgy. Now, sometimes you can actually find all the rest plus that. But listen to me. Oh, man, you find yourself a faithful, committed, hardworking, not perfect, but man that has made up his mind that wants to love a woman and lead his family, and he loves Jesus first, and that love for Jesus trickles over to you, you got yourself a jewel. Keep him. Keep him. And you save yourself for him. Married men and women, have you made up your mind yet? This was a married woman. Giving Joseph the eyes. Married woman. Our day's the same. In the gym, in the supermarket, in the produce section, at work, in the neighborhood. You know sometimes there's vibes, there's a connection, there's a spark. Someone's being way too friendly. Someone's laughing way too much. Someone's brushing up against you too much. They're giving you signals. I'm willing, I'm interested, I'm, I'm putting out my feelers. <clears throat> what they need to get back from you is coolness, coldness. And, a, and, and what needs to start coming out of you is how much you love your wife, how much you love your husband, and you're wearing your ring. Hello. If you're heavier, get a bigger one. You're wearing your ring. You're talking about your spouse in a positive way. Have you made up your mind? It's not an option. Not an option. Not an option. Joseph had made up his mind. Step number two for building a strategy to finish well and survive. Step number two. You better do everything you can to keep God squarely in the picture of your battle. You better do everything you can to keep God squarely in the picture of your battle to stay sexually pure. Don't let God get fuzzy in the middle of your battle. See, when we face temptation, very often it's so real, it's so alive, it's so raging, it just fills the whole picture. It's just all you can think about. Don't let that happen. Joseph kept God squarely in the picture of his battle. He brought the whole thing back to God in a hurry. In a hurry. He brought the whole thing back to God in a hurry. And this is critical. Now, I don't think enough people understand how critical this piece of the strategy I'm presenting from Scripture really is. Look at it again starting in verse 8. What I'm talking about. I'll show you what I'm talking about from our passage. From our Joseph Starting in verse 8, but he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he's committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you're his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against? I don't know about you, but every time I read verse 9, and by God's grace, I read it every year because I try to read through my Bible, That is one of those verses that for me has a surprise ending. Surprise ending at verse 9. The last word of verse 9, look at it. What is that? Doesn't seem to fit. He's building this case. Oh, Potiphar's been so good to me. He's so kind. He trusts me. He's turned over his whole household to me. He doesn't even know what he has. I'm the one that knows. He's given me everything except his wife. This is the only thing. It's because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against? What does it seem like the last word ought to be? Potiphar. But it's not. And it's not for a very important reason. Because Joseph never 
loses sight of, no matter how good someone is to you, God is better. God is bigger. And God is the hand of all blessing and the hand of judgment. He's very God conscious. How do you get that way? Well, it doesn't happen in the moment of temptation. It needs to already be there as you arrive at these intersections. He was very God conscious already, already in place. He never let God drift to the edges of his mind. He kept God front and center. Listen to me. The first step towards sin, including sexual sin, the first step towards sin is not when you open wide and bite down on that glittering temptation that Satan just cast out onto the waters of your heart and it landed right there. Glittering. That's not the first step. Oh, no, 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 no. There was a first step. There was a first step back behind that. One of the first and most subtle steps towards sin is when your thoughts of God grow dim. And thoughts of God and awareness of God and consciousness that there is a God, a personal God who loves me, knows me, fade to the margins of your mind and your heart. So you know what? You need to do everything you can. I need to be doing everything I can to stay as God conscious as I can in my daily, everyday life. Oh, you can read some of these good books about sexual purity and the fight. I hope you will. But listen to this. Reading A.W. Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy would help you. You're like, what? Is the word sex in there? Nope. But when you get excited about God, when you have a heightened God awareness, when you are spending time and waking up each day and alarms going off and you have a sense of there is a real God, I know him, I'm spending time with him, I'm delighting in him, I'm drinking in more of him, I'm being shaped by him, I'm aware of him, that changes dramatically your ability to say no to temptation. The first step towards massive calamity and destructive sin is not biting down on the glittering sexual temptation. It's living careless, fast-paced, other things on your agenda to where there's just not a heightened God consciousness. And don't hear me just, just saying the fear of God. Oh, when you love him and you know him and you're spending time with him and he's real to you. And you delight in him and he's the lover of your soul. It's not fear that he's going to get me. It's that I love him so much. My heart is moving in a different direction. It changes how you fight. Heightened, do everything you can to stay as conscious, as God conscious as possible. And it will serve as a wonderful deterrent. To sin. Staying God conscious serves as a wonderful deterrent to sin. Let me explain what I'm talking about. We've lived in our neighborhood for 18 years now. We try to meet people. We've met all kinds of people. But we really get excited if we're out walking and see someone we've never met before. Sometimes people just aren't out. This is one of those. 
But he's out. He's working in his yard. We're like, oh, let's stop and meet him. So we begin to talk. And he's a great, and this is seven or eight years ago, but I still smile when I see him go by in his pickup truck because I remember how we first met. And so we begin to talk, great guy, very friendly. We're having a wonderful conversation. And all of a sudden, as we're talking, I got a whiff of something so foul. It was like body odor, sweat, mixed with ammonia and feces. Like, oh. You know, you keep smiling. (laughs) You're not listening anymore. You're thinking, is that him? Mercy sakes alive, is that him? I'm not listening anymore. I'm just thinking, wrap it up. Wrap it up. I got to have air. I got to have air. So I took a step back and he took a step forward talking about his new sidewalk. I'm like, it is him. That only confirmed it. My nostrils were attacked and the hairs just... I was like, oh my word. So I'm wrapping it up, but I still thought, need to be friendly. So I reached my hand out to shake his hand so we can leave. He says, oh, I'd shake your hand, but I've been working. I'm dirty. I've been spraying for deer. Because they've been eating my flowers, my bushes. That's the smell that you smell. I thought, you could have said that 15 minutes ago. In fact, you should stick a sign in the yard whenever you do this so everyone knows that ain't me. I'm spraying for deer. And I also thought, I don't know what the deer are thinking, but I would never eat anything that smelled like that. Ever. And you're going to have beautiful flowers and bushes, but no one's going to stand here and look at them. At all. Now, I do have a point. Listen. Just like the deer repellent One of the best deterrents for keeping sin out. And for keeping it from settling into your life and eating you up is the pungent smell of a heightened God awareness. Our sinful flesh and our enemy Satan recoil from the smell of a holy God. It's a sweet aroma to those who know him. But for Satan and his demonic forces, it is repugnant and one of the greatest repellents to sin. Heightened. God awareness. God awareness. God awareness. Do everything you can to stay as God conscious as you can. Because if you don't. Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes well what happens when you're not God conscious. He says, in our members, there's a slumbering inclination towards desire, which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. Joy in God is in course of being extinguished in us. And we seek all our joy in the creature. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality and only desire for the creature is real. Satan, oh, listen to this. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God. But with what? Forgetfulness of God. You say, I never meant to do this. I never meant to be here. I don't hate God. No, you don't have to hate God. All you have to do is forget there is a God and not be living a heightened God-conscious life and your desire becomes so big, so real, so all-consuming. 
Because listen to what he goes on to say. I've seen this played out so many times, and it's a heartbreaker. The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and will of man in deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and decision are taken from us. You understand what he's saying? Have you seen a loved one who you just think, what are you doing? You're, you're not even a stupid person, but this is stupid. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose your... The powers of clear discrimination and decision are taken from us. How did it happen? Well, it happened as you lost God consciousness and awareness. So we say, well, okay, Brad, I'm alarmed. I want that. How will I have a heightened God consciousness? Glad you asked. Let me tell you how you get that. Some of how you get that. Number one, you want to heighten God consciousness? Number one, read his word. Read his word. You say, oh, you always say that. Yes, and I will until I drop dead or Jesus returns. You have to read the Bible. Read the Bible so you will continually hear what God says about sin, especially sexual sin. Because listen to me, if you're just watching sitcoms, sitcoms are given their spin on sin. And God's word is so different. Read God's word so you will constantly, constantly remember how God talks about sexual sin. And when you do, you'll see that you were designed for so much more than just physical pleasure. You were created and designed to glorify God. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me show you what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Go there in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God, oh, look at this verse 14. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. You think, why is that there? It's a passage about sexual purity and immorality. And all of a sudden he's talking about the resurrection. Why it's there is because that's the reason you don't have to say yes. That's the reason you don't have to jump into bed. That's the reason you can't say, oh, but I can't stop. I can't control myself. If you're a Christian, Christ rose from the dead. And when he did, he snapped the chains of sin that have bound you. He moved you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from a Satan follower to a Christ follower. You can say no. You have resurrection power. Christ lives in you. You don't have to go with every urge and feeling and desire. Is it strong? Oh, yeah. Can it get whipped up into a flame? Oh, yeah. Can it cause your whole mind to lose and, and you don't have careful, clear thinking? Thinking, oh, oh, yeah. But you better go with what you know and not what you feel. And as believers, we know he's telling you Christ rose from the dead. So here's the deal. When, if you keep saying, but I can't, but I can't, but I can't, you're either, there's only two options, you're either not a Christian, so you've got a bigger problem than just sleeping with your girlfriend. You're on your way to hell. You keep saying, but I can't, I can't stop this. You're either not a Christian, and then you're honest. I'd say, you're right, you can't, you don't have power to do this. Or you're a liar. And you're using the wrong verb. It's not I can't. 
it's I won't. And I don't make plans ahead of time to see that I don't land there again. And I don't get in a small group and allow people to get close to me. And I don't ever read God's word. And I don't memorize it. And I don't pray. And I ignore all the resources he's given me of direct access to his throne 24 hours a day. He's interceding for me. My battle's not alone. He lives in me. His word is alive and will convict me and empower me and encourage me and change me. And being around his people will help me. And opening up and allowing people to get close to me instead of trying to stay isolated and private and hidden when you isolate yourself it indicates i'm making plans to do that again because i don't want people around me at close range you need people you need god's word you need to cry out to god and you need to recognize who you are in christ but stop saying i can't say it's hard say i'm in trouble say i've formed bad habits i've given myself over this so long i wouldn't argue with you at all But I'd say to you, there's a different future for you and there is hope for you and Christ died for you that you wouldn't have to stay that way. That's what he's doing right here. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise him up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. And get this, you are not your own. That's one of the biggest problems right there. We live like, hey, it's my body, it's my choices, it's my life. You are not your own. If you know Christ, you're not your own. You can't be autonomous. You don't just do want. You're not your own. And listen, and it would help us to recognize, and a price was paid to set you free. It didn't cost you anything. Salvation is free. It's a free gift. But you need to remember, you're not your own. You've been bought with a, next verse says what? And what kind of price was that? God took his only begotten son. He didn't have dozens of sons to say, I'll give this one. He's my least favorite. God gave his only begotten son to take on flesh and stoop and step into our world, land in a manger, tread this earth, be reviled, spit on, mocked, abused, and then to give his life willingly on the cross That sexual sin and adultery and fornication and wrong thoughts and filth was poured out on him along with the wrath of God. A price was paid so that you don't have to keep living the same. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore... Glorify God, not just with your hands and your mouth, with your body and in your spirit, which are God's heightened God awareness 
from reading his word and being reminded, what does he say? What does he say? Here's what the world says. Here's what he says. What does the world say? Here's what he says. And you want to read God's word so that you can continue to magnify the consequences. The world's working overtimes with glitter and sparkle and millions of dollars to magnify the pleasures of sin, especially sexual sin. Are there pleasures in sexual sin? That was weak. Yes. But Hebrews 11.25 puts a modifier in front of that that you should take note of. Passing pleasures of sin. It's going to pass. It's going to leave a toxic wake behind it. Passing pleasures of sin. And so God, you better go to God's word to magnify the consequences. Magnify the consequences. Magnify the consequences. That my sexual sin, this would be good to sit and think about. My sexual sin would drag the name of Christ through the mud. You don't have to be a pastor for this to be true. My sexual sin would bring shame on this local church and give our community one more reason to pull back. My sexual sin would would defeat and, and move in irreversible direction years of witnessing to family members and loved ones about Christ. My sexual sin, if my spouse refuses to forgive me, I could lose him or her. My sexual sin would cause my children, my children, to, to struggle with trusting me. You were saying this? You were teaching us this? You were taking us to church and you did that? You lived that way? And carry with them into their potential future marriage a big fat question mark about the faithfulness of anybody be able to keep their word and stay faithful and be true to a spouse. My sexual sin would cause the world to mock a God they already mock and say Christians are just hypocrites there's no difference they sing on Sunday they go to church I play golf and watch TV instead there's no difference it's a joke it's empty they live just like us my sexual sin get this would rain down pain on those I love the most that are closest to me Because they are the ones that take the biggest hit from the shrapnel of my selfish, thoughtless, sinful choices. Let all that settle in. Because you don't get that from NBC, ABC, CBS, or any cable channel. Ha, 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 all the time over so much that is not funny. Because I'm a pastor and I'm up close to the brokenness and the mess, I cannot watch movies that make light of adultery. It is not funny. It's devastating and heartbreaking. Read your Bible so that you can magnify the consequences. Secondly, you want to stay God conscious? Read your Bible so that you'll never lose sight of the fact that there's always a price to pay. There's always, listen to me, sin is costly. It's never cost-free. Costly, costly. Galatians 6, 7, 8, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also. You go around sowing sexual sin. The reaper's coming, my friend. Sickle's in his hand. It's coming. It's coming. Here's the problem. Some of you right now are thinking it. Oh, sweaty little man. I'm swimming in sexual sin and pleasure and nothing. Lightning hasn't struck. There's no smell of burning flesh. I've been living this way a long time, still doing it, having a great time. Here's the mistake you're making, my friend. 
So it's fine. Nothing's going to happen. It's no big deal. Turn with me to a passage that I hope will rock your little world. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I know we don't go to that book often, but I think you can find it because it's right after Proverbs. Find Psalms, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 11 to 13. If you're sitting here right now and you're living in this, thinking, ah, nothing's happened yet. Let this rock your world. Verse 11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him, but it will not be well with the wicked. Nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow Because he does not fear before God. Get this. You're making this mistake. You're making this mistake right here. It is not about the immediate. It's not about what happens immediately. It's about what happens ultimately and eternally. Our world does everything to pull you to the immediate, the immediate, the immediate, the immediate, the immediate. God's word, I'll tell you what will happen as you read God's word. You start thinking more. You get a bigger picture, ultimate and eternal, ultimate and eternal, long-term, ultimate and eternal. You better be reading this because everything around us pulls you to immediate, immediate, immediate. It's not about the immediate. It's about ultimate and eternal. And you might as well start thinking that way now because it is what you're going to think one day. When every knee bows and every tongue says, Jesus is Lord. Start living that way now. 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 And the last recommendation I have for staying God conscious is read God's word. There it is again. And stay close to God's people so that you can know your own heart because there's a worship war that is raging there every day. You say, Brad, you just switched subjects. This is sexual purity. What's that have to do with singing? I hope you come here long enough that you know worship is much bigger than singing. Long before you cheat on your spouse or bed down your girlfriend, boyfriend, you've already cheated on God. And broken commandment number one and two, have no other God before me. Because we are worshipers and sexual sin along with every other sin is simply misdirected worship, misplaced worship, false worship, idolatry. You're building your world around something else. Long before your body landed in bed, your heart had already gone there. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? So don't just check out, well, I'm not in bed with anybody else, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. You're not okay if your heart, see the hymn writer, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for your courts above. Where's your heart? Your body will follow your heart. And if your heart is not stirred up and freshly in love with Jesus, that's why Matthew 22 says, love the Lord God with all your heart and soul and mind. It's a heart problem long before it's ever a hand-eye-body problem. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, out of the heart proceed 
murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, evil? Where is your heart? There's a worship war that's going on every day. Get in God's word. Draw near to God's people. As I close, I want you to hear hope again. Because this is hard for some of you. For some of you, it's hard. Say, I've already blown it. Hey, starting today, don't be that girl if you're saying, I'm not a virgin. I've already given away my virginity. And Satan's saying, well, just get on down that path. You do not have to keep heading down that path. God is the God of redemption, restoration, reconciliation. Draw a line in the sand and say, no more. No more. No more. I was so proud. I just did a wedding a week or so ago, a weekend or so ago, and someone you might know, Ryan Schwartz, was here in our church. And at the reception, and he's very outgoing, so he had the microphone. At the reception, he did something that was a little awkward, but I thought, you go, man. And people were like, "Ah." he's got the microphone. He's like, and tonight, we're going to do it for the very first time. Everyone was like, "Ah." okay. But you know what? Yay, Ryan. He said, because he told me almost, almost everybody at this wedding, Brad, is going to be lost. Non-Christians. What a, what a great testimony. What a great, we're not ashamed of it. We're excited about it. And we've done it God's way. He said, so many of my friends have told me, well, don't you want to check it out? And he said, you don't need to check out a Lamborghini. I've waited. And tonight, we're going to do it. You, you can start over. And say, this is how we're going to do this. This is how I'm going to live. Have you made up your mind? Have you slammed the door shut on any other options? And are you God conscious? Oh, you say, Brad, I'm aware of all the pitfalls and we live in such a wicked world. And, uh, uh, be conscious of that. But are you God conscious? Do you have a heightened God conscious? Do you love Jesus Do you love him? Do you spend time with him? Do you listen to him? Do you feed on his words? Do you delight in him? Be aware of the pitfalls, but you need that heightened God consciousness. And how do you get God conscious? By spending time in his presence with his word and his people. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it does say where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Thank you that Hebrews 7.25 says you're able to save to the uttermost. Rub that into some hearts right now that have been lied to and have thought, I'm, I'm a lost cause. I'm a lost cause. Oh, God, thank you that there are no lost causes. Rub truth and hope and grace and mercy into some lies right now. May this day be the first day of a brand new path for many sitting here. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.